Chapters twenty four and twenty five of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty four. Sir Aubrey's Land Steward. Once having taken the desperate leap which a few days ago he would have hardly believed it possible for him to take, Sir Aubrey was like a man caught in the web of some mystic enchantment. He was in a feverish haste to make his bondage secure the inward conviction that all the world or all his world which comes to the same thing would secretly disapprove his new scheme of life goaded him on to the completion of that act begun in a weak moment of bewilderment upon the path which he had taken delay seemed impossible if i give these headingham and monkhampton people time to talk about me they will torment me to death he said to himself the only plan is to be beforehand with them my marriage cannot take place too soon sir aubrey's world was a very small one almost as small as sylvia carew's yet there were some people in that small world about whose opinion he concerned himself not a little notwithstanding that they were creatures of inferior rank whose approval or disapproval ought to have weighed lightly with him the two people of whom he thought most at this important crisis of his life were people whose very lives were in a manner dependent upon the light of his countenance one was shadrach bain his solicitor and land steward the other was jean chapelain his valet half a century ago the family solicitors of the house of periam had been an old established firm in lincoln's inn men who ranked among the aristocracy of the legal profession who did everything in a grand slow way kept the title deeds wills and marriage settlements of their clients in large iron safes that seemed inaccessible to man so reluctantly were they opened and who were altogether ponderous and respectable half a century ago therefore the lord of periam would have been outraged by the idea of employing a local solicitor he had his land steward or bailiff a gentleman by birth and education but not a lawyer and all leases and contracts of whatever kind connected with the periam estate were drawn up and executed in their own tardy style by messrs ferret and tape of lincoln's inn sir andrew periam however sir aubrey's father had brought about a change in these things he was a gentleman of close and even miserly disposition and soon after inheriting the property had discovered that the keenest pleasure he could derive from its possession would be found in its extension he added a slip of woodland here a field or two there and as the years crept by and his last map showed a widening boundary line to the lands of periam felt that he had not lived in vain sir andrew speedily discovered that the gentleman land steward who hunted three days a week in the season and kept a pony carriage for his wife and daughters was a mistake he was not half sharp enough with the tenants was much too ready to dip his hand into his employer's pocket for repairs and improvements instead of squeezing everything out of the lessees in fact demoralized by his own easy life he had become perniciously indulgent and criminally indifferent to the interests of his employer his salary was liberal and he had thus an assured income which underwent no diminution on account of a tenantless farm or a bankrupt tenant this sir andrew argued was a radical error in the relations of master and steward he had also a house rent free and that the periam dower house a roomy old mansion of the elizabethan order which with its ample gardens orchard and meadows might have been let for two hundred a year this thought sir andrew was a still greater mistake having discovered this weakness in his business arrangements sir andrew cast about him for a remedy and was not slow to find one the gentleman steward was dismissed with but a quarter's notice 
the dower house was let to a retired monkhampton grocer and sir andrew entrusted the collection of his rents and drawing up of leases and agreements to mr bain an attorney at monkhampton this gentleman shrewd active conciliating and indefatigable speedily contrived to establish a powerful influence over his employer the lincoln's inn lawyers were ousted from their hold on the perriam estate the title-deeds leases and covenants wrested from their unwilling hands and all the business that sir andrew had to give was given to mr bain when sir andrew made his will it was mr bain who drew up that document mr bain's clerks who witnessed its signature the uneventful years went by and sir andrew slept the sleep of his forefathers very well satisfied in his last hour with mr bain's administration of the estate ten years after the death of his patron the man who in monkhampton parlance had made him mr bain was also gathered to his fathers in their unpretending resting-place in the churchyard at monkhampton his son a man of thirty succeeded to the perriam stewardship and sir aubrey who with something of his father's love of money had not inherited his father's business capacity was glad to put his trust in an administrator whose management seemed always profitable to his employer shadrach bain the son was if anything a better administrator than his father for from the time he left the monkhampton grammar school at sixteen years of age the perriam estate had been the one all-absorbing thought of his mind he knew it was the chief heritage to which he was to succeed he knew that whatever his father might have saved out of his income had to be divided among a family of five two sons and three daughters while the perriam stewardship was to descend intact to him the eldest there could be no division of that stewardship peter the younger son had been educated at a local college for baptist preachers and aspired to the honourable position of minister in the little chapel in water lane one of the by-streets of monkhampton the baines had been baptists almost from the establishment of that sect shadrach bain knew every rood of ground within the boundary of sir aubrey's land from the summit of a distant hill he could point with his whip-handle to every bush or knoll or bank or poplar that indicated the dividing line between the property of sir aubrey and his neighbouring landowners my father negotiated the purchase of yonder fallow he would say proudly sixteen acres two roods and three perches and bought it uncommonly cheap you see the three poplars at the corner that's our boundary nothing like poplars to mark your line grow quick and cast very little shadow he was a good farmer mr bain though his direct and personal experience of agriculture was confined to the cultivation of a neat kitchen garden orchard and meadow in the rear of his square substantial dwelling-house in the high street of monkhampton but he had read all the best books upon agriculture before he was twenty he had made himself thoroughly acquainted with every improvement in agricultural implements he had surveyed every farm within a day's journey of monkhampton had gone the round of the perriam estate with his father as often as opportunity permitted and in keenness of vision and clearness of comprehension and knowledge of the subject was as good a farmer as he was a lawyer this man was now for all practical purposes master of the perriam manor sir aubrey knew about as much of farming or the capabilities of the estate as he knew of the buried relics of troya so long as there was no fluctuation or falling off in his income he was tolerably satisfied his eye was pleased with the neat and picturesque appearance of the estate as he rode his brown cob splinter between the green banks of those sheltered lanes which intersected his domain in one thing only did he and mr bain differ 
sir aubrey forbade the cutting down of a single tree while shadrach was in his heart of hearts for the stubbing up system and grumbled sorely at those fine old oaks and spreading beeches which made the beauty of the landscape and soured the land beneath their dense leafage things had gone well with shadrach bane he had married young and eminently to his own advantage though the bane family affected to consider that shadrach had condescended somewhat when he married miss docker eldest daughter of william docker the monkhampton grocer and provision dealer who supplied all the surrounding unions and public institutions and whose trade was altogether rather wholesale than retail mr docker had died shortly after his daughter's marriage and mrs bain inherited her portion of six thousand pounds sterling which judiciously invested in cottage property produced between four and five hundred a year shadrach was therefore in some measure an independent man and monkhampton esteemed him accordingly his house was one of the best in the town his garden a pattern of neatness his dog-cart fresh and bright as if newly come from the coach-builders his horses he never drove the same two days running well groomed and cared for his servants stayed with him year after year his children were well dressed in a plain substantial style but with small regard to the mutations of fashion his family pew in the water lane chapel presented a picture of which monkhampton baptists were proud now when sir aubrey Perriam thought of shadrach bane with his hard commonplace method of coming at things his rooted objection to the ornamental his utter indifference to the beautiful and thought how such a man would receive the tidings of an intended marriage between a gentleman of fifty-seven years of age and a young lady of nineteen whose sole distinction for vulgar minds was her lovely face his heart sank within him and he felt that he would have a disagreeable business to go through when he announced to mr bane the fact of his engagement with sylvia carew yet it would be necessary to acquaint his steward and solicitor with that fact before the marriage took place some kind of settlement there must be though sylvia was penniless mr bane was the person to draw up that settlement jean chapelet the valet was another individual who exercised a stronger influence over the mind of his master than sir aubrey would have cared to admit an elderly bachelor who keeps very little company and passes some months of every year in the close quarters of a parisian entresol is apt to make his body servant something of a companion chapelain's education was in advance of his position he had read a good deal in a desultory way took a warm interest in european politics and was on the whole a good deal better informed than his master if sir aubrey wanted to talk he could hardly talk to any one better worthy to be honoured with his conversation than the valet thus for the last twenty years jean chapelain and his master had lived in close companionship into jean's sympathetic ears sir aubrey had poured the elderly bachelor's philosophical reflections upon life and humanity to jean he had declared not once but many times that he valued the privileges of a single man far too well to barter them for the unknown joys of married life jean and he had laughed together at the folly of elderly benedicts the cynical laugh of men who had both drawn their views of life from that deep well of worldly wit and worldly wisdom the writings of the most brilliant worldling the light ever shone upon voltaire to confess to jean chapelain that he had fallen in love and was going to marry the object of his affection would be more humiliating even than to make the same confession to shadrach bane but happily reflected sir aubrey chapelain need know nothing of the marriage till it was an accomplished fact he could hardly grumble much then 
twenty-five matters financial not a word did sylvia say to her father all through that sunday he was at church almost all day with the school so the two saw very little of each other in private indeed under the pretext of a severe headache sylvia escaped her usual sunday school teaching and afternoon and evening church and contrived to spend the greater part of the day in the solitude of her own bedroom there she could think in quiet think perhaps very much as judas may have thought before he went and hanged himself it is a kind of fate in some natures to betray falsehood is written in the stars that rule their destiny sylvia thought of mrs standon's indignation and was angry with that lady for conduct which certainly appeared inconsistent she ought to have thanked me for her son's release instead of turning upon me like that the girl said to herself as she meditated upon that unpleasant scene with the lady who was to have been her mother-in-law after all it was something to have got the interview over to have cleared the ground for her new engagement who could tell how soon Eddingham might know of that wondrous change in her position it would be her desire to keep the affair a secret as long as possible but would sir aubrey or her father be likely to indulge this fancy of hers there remained the letter to be written to edmund the cruel treacherous letter in which masking self-interest under an affectation of generosity she was to give him up his first letter to her had breathed only deeper trust and purest love her first letter to him would deal a death-blow to his dearest hopes even though she was born to betray it pained her to write that letter the composition was a work of art it would have been difficult to read between the lines that told only of womanly forethought and self-abnegation and to discover the mercenary spirit which prompted that renunciation the letter seemed almost heroic and here truth assisted falsehood the pangs with which sylvia surrendered her lover were real enough she did not forsake him without bitterest pain harder to bear than the sorrow of an unselfish soul which out of pure magnanimity foregoes its own joy the letter was written and it was a relief to think that some time must elapse ere it could reach edmund standon's hands the mail would only leave southampton ten days hence the passage of the letter to demerara would take three weeks there was breathing time therefore perhaps being so entirely separated from me and having leisure for reflection he may have begun to regret his folly and my letter may come to him almost as a relief thought sylvia self-excusingly on monday evening the schoolmaster smoked his pipe in his favourite seat in the doorway a narrow bench inside the latticed porch the day had been rainy and the garden breathed the freshness and perfume that follow summer rain sweet as incense rising from old greek altars when man knew no higher giver of good than zeus or demeter sylvia had left her chair by the window and had come work in hand to the doorway she stood there looking at her father curiously as if doubtful whether to speak or be silent papa she said at last you don't wish me to marry mr standon wish you to marry him exclaimed mr carew impatiently why you know that i have set my face against such a marriage and that so far as a father can forbid anything in these days of unfilial indifference to a father's wishes i forbid you to marry edmund standon even if mrs standon were inclined to relent papa and to give a reluctant consent to the marriage and leave edmund half her fortune is she inclined to do that yes papa she called here yesterday and told me so mr carew grew thoughtful that might have altered the case considerably a week ago he said 
but it only adds a perplexing element to the business now i see a much more brilliant chance before you if if the prospect is not delusive so do i papa looking at things from a worldly point of view from what other point of view need you look at things we don't live in the stars sir aubrey perriam has asked me to be his wife papa mr carew started up from the little bench in the porch and for the first time within sylvia's memory dropped his pipe it was a small meerschaum coloured by himself and he regarded it with an affection which he did not often bestow upon sentient things he picked it up carefully looked to see if he had chipped the bowl and then stood staring at his daughter in silent amazement for some moments sir aubrey asked you to marry him he said at last in serious sober earnest it wasn't one of those senseless speeches which elderly gentlemen make to young ladies mere old-fashioned gallantry eh sylvia no indeed papa i think sir aubrey was very much in earnest his hand trembled a little when he took mine and you accepted him said the father sharply he was prepared for any folly from a girl of nineteen it is in the nature of youth to be sentimental and he supposed that his daughter must have the ordinary share of sentimentality yes papa i was engaged to edmund stanton but everything seemed to be against our marriage so i thought you were wise for once in your life cried mr carew why you will be a queen child and i well i suppose i shall not be compelled to end my days as a parish schoolmaster why didn't you tell me this before has my life been such a bright one that you need keep the sunshine of prosperity from me i-i hardly knew how to tell you papa poor edmund it seems so hard to give up every thought of him well it's a rather sudden renunciation certainly however no girl in her senses would act otherwise than you have done rather lucky that your sweetheart was off to demerara yes papa i don't think i could have accepted sir aubrey if edmund had not been away i suppose sir aubrey means to explain himself to me to-morrow i think he is coming here to-night papa then you had better clear out of the way we must have our talk alone very well papa i'll go to mary peters i want to see the dress she's making for miss jane toynbee oh how nice it will be when i have new dresses of my own oh by the by papa if sir aubrey should want to fix the date of our marriage he would hardly wish to do that yet a while but if he should make it as far off as you can i don't want the stantons quite to despise me as they would if they knew that i had jilted edmund in order to marry sir aubrey defer the marriage yes and give sir aubrey time to alter his mind or to die in the interval and then you would realize the old adage of between two stools no sylvia if sir aubrey wishes for a short engagement i shall not be insane enough to propose delay sylvia sighed thought of all the joys that must attend the translation from poverty to wealth and submitted she put on her hat and ran off to spend half an hour among the cuttings of silk and lining and open papers of pins which bestrewed mary peters humble apartment on a busy evening what would poor mary peters say if she heard of this new engagement there had been talk enough and astonishment enough about edmund stanton's subjugation but this latter conquest was as far above the first as yonder evening star shining softly above the cypress surpasses the feeble lustre of village lamps 
sylvia did not mean to tell her humble confidant about the change in her circumstances yet awhile mr carew had not been alone ten minutes before he heard the click of the latch and the garden gate opened to admit sir aubrey Perriam. the schoolmaster had been wondering with sore perplexity whether that proposal whereof sylvia had just informed him had been a really serious offer or only one of those florid meaningless compliments which gentlemen of the old school are apt to indulge in the sight of that grey-haired figure in the summer dusk set his heart beating at a gallop the whole thing had seemed too good to be true but this appearance of the baronet seemed to confirm sylvia's statement james carew emptied the ashes out of his pipe and dropped that treasure into the pocket of his well-worn velveteen shooting-jacket as sir aubrey came up the garden path good evening mr carew said the visitor in his low bland tones all alone miss carew is out i suppose he added looking into the parlour through the wide-open casement yes sylvia has gone to see one of her friends in the village she has very few friends poor child and the one or two she does associate with are hardly congenial spirits but my poor girl has a soft clinging nature and must have something to love i regret to lose the pleasure of seeing her said sir aubrey yet i am not sorry she is absent i wish to have a little serious talk with you mr carew your daughter has told you the motive of this visit perhaps she hinted at something which i could hardly believe possible i thought my poor child in utter ignorance of the world might naturally mistake gallantry for-for for affection said sir aubrey i am not skilled in the art of gallantry mr carew and when i spoke to your daughter the other night too hastily perhaps i spoke straight from my heart and your words went straight to hers sir aubrey answered the schoolmaster with feeling need i say how deeply i feel the honour you have conferred upon my daughter yet when i reflect upon the disparity in our ages said sir aubrey quickly no sir aubrey in your social position if i objected to my daughter's union with a banker's son whose family opposed the marriage have i not still stronger reason to object to a marriage which all the county will condemn do you imagine sir that i exist only to please my neighbours cried sir aubrey haughtily the lady i choose for my wife sir ascends at once to my own level and let me see any gentleman or lady in this county who will presume to disparage her come mr carew let us discuss this subject from a business point of view i have proposed for your daughter's hand and she has done me the honour to accept me without reserve the preliminaries of the marriage are all that you and i have to settle will you take a seat sir aubrey and allow me to light the candles said mr carew leading the way into the dusky parlour you needn't light candles we can talk just as well in the twilight said the visitor seating himself just within the doorway mr carew was not sorry to remain in that friendly half-light who could tell what questions the baronet might intend to ask him questions upon which his daughter's future fortunes might depend questions which might tax his ingenuity to the uttermost to answer satisfactorily it was some advantage to keep his face in the shadow when a man of my age makes such a proposal as i have made to your daughter began sir aubrey it is only natural to suppose that he is moved by a deep and powerful feeling i have heard of love as swift and sudden as this love of mine and ridiculed it many a time before to-day 
i now confess in all humility that i underrated the power of the god he has avenged himself upon my infidelity and has transformed the unbeliever into a fanatic he paused sighed gently as if regretting his own abasement and then went on in the same half-meditative tone you say the county which has its own standard of right will take objection to my marriage with your daughter i am prepared for that i will go further and say i know that they will ridicule my infatuation set me down as a dotard at fifty-seven years of age laugh at the old man and his fair young wife in answer to all this i can only say that i know my own heart and that is not mere admiration for your daughter's beauty which has influenced my conduct i should despise myself could i think that i had been caught by a pretty face like the brainless moth which seeks its destruction in the flame that dazzles and allures it no mr carew i love your daughter honestly and sincerely in all purity and truth and i am willing to trust the remnant of my days to her keeping nay sir aubrey at fifty-seven a man has hardly passed the prime of life have you any objection to offer to this marriage sir asked sir aubrey with a stately condescension as if fully aware that the question was an empty courtesy objection i am deeply honoured by your choice i feel more pride than i can venture to express lest i should appear servile not another word mr carew i feel that however humble your present position may be you were born to occupy a better one i was sir aubrey my father was a merchant of some standing who sent me to eton and oxford and suffered me to marry and begin life with the idea that i was a man of independent means his failure and death within three years of my poor sylvia's birth left me a pauper this employment humble though it is was the best that offered itself to the ruined oxonian who had neither trade nor profession you may say perhaps that i might in all these years have endeavoured to improve my condition i can only answer that whatever energies i ever had were deadened by the blow which reduced me from delusive affluence to actual poverty the little i can earn here has sufficed to maintain my child and myself the retired life has suited my habits and inclinations and thus i have never taken arms against a sea of troubles but have rather preferred the obscurity of this peaceful haven i understand said sir aubrey and you had no wife to share or lighten your struggles she died before your misfortunes yes my wife is dead i inferred as much there was a pause sir aubrey had something more to say but hardly knew how to say it he was a rich man and he had told himself that this mr carew might entertain an exaggerated notion of a wealthy bridegroom's liberality he might count upon profiting to some large extent by his daughter's union with the lord of the manor it was for sir aubrey to undeceive him at once upon this point your daughter having done me the honour to accept me and there being no impediment to our marriage it appears to me mr carew that the event cannot take place too soon unless indeed sylvia should desire a delay a wish which i should infinitely regret for where there is so great a disparity of years that wish might indicate uncertainty of purpose my daughter has no such wish sir aubrey replied mr carew promptly but a woman can hardly pass from the position of my daughter to that of your wife without some trifling preparations in the way of trousseau of course 
but in all her arrangements i hope miss carew will remember that i am a man of the simplest habits that i see hardly any society and that i utterly abhor the frivolities of fashion i have no doubt that she will be proud to be ruled by your superior judgment in all things replied the schoolmaster who was beginning to feel a shade of anxiety there had been so far not a syllable that hinted at any improvement in his own circumstances sir aubrey had not uttered the important word settlement and it was a word which mr carew felt could hardly issue from his lips to betray his expectation of profit from the marriage would seem like bargaining for the price of his daughter while he was meditating this somewhat uncomfortably sir aubrey relieved his doubts by becoming businesslike with regard to settlements he said i conclude that as you can give nothing to your daughter you will not entertain any exaggerated expectations upon that point i will freely own to you that i do not understand or approve the modern system of making a wife independent of her husband dependence is one of woman's sweetest attributes her most winning charm i should not like my wife were she a nobleman's daughter to possess an independent income during my lifetime i shall therefore settle nothing upon sylvia mr carew's heart grew heavy why at this rate edmund stanton might have been a better match than sir aubrey but i shall settle two or three thousand a year upon my widow when i die sylvia shall have that income and the dower house now let off and worth two hundred a year sir aubrey said the schoolmaster with a dignified air far be it from me to dispute the justice or the generosity of any decision you may arrive at i am certainly inclined to think that for my daughter's future comfort and your exemption from small worries it might have been wise for you to settle upon her some moderate allowance in the way of pin-money were it only three or four hundred a year which would have made her independent so far as concerns a woman's trifling requirements a woman's trifling requirements echoed sir aubrey you don't mean to tell me that your daughter brought up in this cottage would require three or four hundred a year to buy gowns and bonnets certainly not sir aubrey but charity makes a large item in a lady's expenditure and sylvia as the mistress of parium could hardly come to you for every half-crown she wanted to give to a sick cottager good heaven sir cried the baronet do you suppose that i cannot make my wife an allowance for pocket-money when she is my wife without binding myself to pay her so many hundreds a year upon a piece of stamped parchment before i marry her i will amply provide for your daughter in the event of my death but i will never consent to render her independent of my bounty during my lifetime the schoolmaster murmured a vague assent but felt more and more uncomfortable how am i to profit by such a marriage he wondered am i to sit in the gate like mordecai and to be not a jot better off for my daughter's advancement again sir aubrey came to his relief as regards yourself mr carew he began graciously i have reflected that it could hardly be satisfactory to you to occupy your present position honourable as that position is when your daughter is lady Perriam i shall therefore request you to accept a hundred a year which i shall be very happy to remit to you by quarterly payments in lieu of your present stipend and which will enable you to live in quiet independence the baronet was about to say elsewhere but checked himself lest the phrase should sound like a sentence of banishment in any locality most agreeable to yourself 
you are very good sir aubrey i place my future entirely at your disposal answered the schoolmaster a hundred a year a poor pittance although twice as good as my present income he thought deeply disappointed by the baronet's narrow views on the subject of settlements he had fancied that an elderly lover would be lavish ready to empty his coffers at the feet of his idol and here was sir aubrey driving as hard a bargain as if he had been shadrach bane cheapening a herd of store oxen at monkhampton cattle fair a hundred a year it seemed a pitiful result of such a wondrous event as the baronet's subjugation mr carew could only comfort himself with the idea that sylvia once married must assuredly acquire some power over her husband's purse and that it would be hard if her father were not something the better for her altered fortunes you spoke just now of sylvia's trousseau said sir aubrey who felt more at his ease now that he had expounded his views i have not forgotten that necessity perhaps you will contrive to give your daughter this little packet without offending her delicacy it contains a hundred pounds in bank-notes james carew took the small parcel and his faded face flushed faintly at the mere thought of its contents how long it was since he had held as much money in his hand the day had been when a hundred pounds would have made an insignificant item in the vast sum of his needs but of late years sovereigns had been as drops of his heart's blood so dear had it cost him to part with them i should be obliged if you bear in mind what i said just now about simplicity of attire said sir aubrey when mr carew had murmured his acknowledgment of the lover's first gift a woman cannot be too plainly dressed for my taste nor does sylvia's beauty need adornment sylvia opened the gate while her elderly lover was speaking and came across the dusky garden sir aubrey went out to meet her almost as eager as if he had been twenty-five instead of fifty-seven business-like and deliberate as he had been in the adjustment of monetary questions he became enthusiastic at sight of sylvia my sweet one he said detaining her in the garden i have seen your father and settled everything and now i want you to name the happy day that is to make us one that sudden appeal made sylvia tremble what was her doom so near she had thought it a grand thing to be lady perriam while that change of fortune appeared still distant she had forsworn herself renounced her lover become a renegade yet at the near approach of that brilliant fortune for which she had sacrificed all lesser things there came a revulsion of feeling if she could by any possibility have drawn back at this last moment she would have done it recalled her renunciation of edmund become once more the happy girl who had pillowed her head upon her lover's breast and felt herself brave enough to face even poverty for his sake but it was all too late for turning back sir aubrey's patrician hand had drawn hers gently through his arm with an air of proprietorship let it be as soon as possible my dear he said in a tone that was half lover-like half fatherly the autumn will soon be upon us and i should like to spend september in paris i am always glad to get away from the falling leaves paris seemed a name of enchantment to this untravelled girl not damascus bassorah or baghdad no city she had ever read of in the arabian nights could have more the sound of a fairy tale i should like to see paris she said forgetting her tardy remorse we will spend our honeymoon there love replied the baronet who had made up his mind about it before he came to woo it would be an inexpensive honeymoon lodgment in his entresol would cost him nothing 
there would only be some slight difference in the terms of his contract with the traiteur who supplied his table your father agrees with me that there is no motive for delay except for the brief time you may require to have two or three dresses made said sir aubrey we will be married very quietly in yonder church some morning before any of the village gossips have had time to discover our intention that will be nice said sylvia somewhat listlessly but i should have liked a few months delay a few months what for the question was embarrassing how can you be sure that you really care for me that your regard for me is anything more than a passing fancy she faltered after a pause i have no doubt as to my feelings replied sir aubrey with offended dignity perhaps it is you who are doubtful about yours no indeed cried sylvia quickly not for worlds must she offend him was not the die cast she might keep back her letter to edmund which was not yet posted but she could not undo her interview with mrs standen the next mail would doubtless carry a full account of that interview to her lover and was it likely he would forgive her for having rejected his mother's offered friendship for having renounced him deliberately in the very hour of his mother's relenting sylvia felt that edmund was lost to her and that there was nothing for her between marriage with sir aubrey and ignominious downfall reflection showed her that her own interest demanded a speedy marriage what would be her position if edmund came back and denounced her he might be cruel enough to tell sir aubrey how fondly she had loved him with what oft-repeated vows she had sworn to be true what might not a betrayed lover do to proclaim her baseness the best possible shelter would be sir aubrey's name no one would dare to assail or to insult sir aubrey perriam's wife come sylvia said the baronet tenderly if you love me ever so little you will not ask for delay it is in your power to make my life very happy why should not my happiness begin as soon as it can remember my sweet one when you accepted my offer the other night you linked your life with mine you can hardly unlink it again unless you really repent your promise no no i do not repent i am honoured proud happy in the knowledge of your love then we will be married this day month said sir aubrey sealing the bond with a courteous kiss sylvia made no objection it is not for the beggar girl to dictate to king cophetua chapters twenty four and twenty five